Today is the uh, first Sunday in the long Trinity season as Marshall kind of shifted in emphasis on the church calendar. We just entered that long stretch of, of time when we were working our way through God's revelation in Christ. We began in Advent uh, with the expectation of Christ coming, the birth, the epiphany, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, and then the coming of the Holy Spirit, which was summed up on Trinity Sunday last week. So we went through the story. Now we enter that long season of, of teaching where we reflect in various ways of various Sunday Gospels and epistles on various aspects of the Revelation. We begin with the story of a rich man and a poor man. And the impact of the story is, is brought out in the contrast, or what we might say almost the exact reversal of fortune. In this life, the rich man is eating very well, clothed very well. Lazarus is laid at his gate, wishing he could have some of what the rich man had, but unable to, to partake. And when we fast forward to post-mortem existence, it's exactly reversed. Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom, which is a kind of euphemism for paradise, when Jesus said the Today he was with me in paradise. This is the existence he was thinking about. And he's comforted, assuming uh, uh, a kind of feasting of fullness. The rich man is in, not as the King James tells us in the uh, uh, Gospel of Hell, which would be the Greek Gehenna, but really Hades, which is the intermediate stage of those who are not with God. And there he's thirsty, hungry, wanting a little bit of what Lazarus has, but can't get any of it. The story, it, it first hearing is a kind of warning. We, we think of um, the words of Jesus. He says in Matthew 24, it is much as you did it or did it not, one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And so we're, we hear the story of being concerned. Where are we missing Lazarus? And it's always that fear walking, walking along the street. Are we, what act of neglect are we going to be bounced into hell for as we walk down the road? But I think, I think the, the warning side, while it's an important part of the exhortation, fails to capture the essence of what's being said. We can look back at the nature of God and, and reflect on the nature of God and revealed in the scriptures to get a sense of the real the real sense of the story. God is Trinity. He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We say God is love. And in our understanding, that uh, comes to us from St. Augustine, we see that the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father. The Holy Spirit is the love that flows between them and then out from them into the world. The act of creation in the beginning, when God created heaven and earth, was an act of overflowing love. God is so full of love within his being that it actually spills out. The Trinity says, why don't we share this with people? And let's make some people to share it with. Even when the fall of man takes place in Genesis 3, this mission of God as love does not end. It still overflows into the redemption of Israel uh, through the Old Covenant. And then with God coming down in Christ to live and die for us and to reconcile us to God. 
So God's love overflows uh, outward towards us. And this comes to fruition in Christ. We have a communion hymn that kind of can help us play off of the, some of the uh, symbolism of the gospel. The communion says, O saving victim opening wide the gate of heaven to man below. So from God's perspective, we are sinners laid at his gate, shut out on account of our sin, excluded from God's presence as if we came in there as sinners and we'd be burned alive. But God comes down outside of his gate to join us, to enter into our experience, to live and die and rise for us, to open the gate so he might bring us into his peace, we might feast with him. And when we look at the gospel from that perspective, we realize that the real, that the real point is more that the rich man failed to understand God's love that he had received. Failed to, to which means he had to really experience it. He saw all that he had selfishly. It was for himself. And he built a gate to keep those who, who he defined out on the outside of that. If we understand the love of God, if we understand what God has done for us in Christ, if our sins have been forgiven, if we understand a lifetime of grace that has come to each of us through the life of prayer, we can't help but understanding that this, this is something to share, to go out to others, to take in that Trinitarian sense that God's Trinitarian love overflows into the creation, into our lives. And when we are full of that, it naturally results in sharing that with others. And if we don't naturally want to share that, want to reach out to those in need because of our experience, it shows that we don't love God. And this is a little bit, St. John's language in the epistle can be a little thick to work through. This is essentially what he's saying. God's love, God loved us, and the way we understand that we love God is we love each other. And if we don't love those who are made in his image, who are around us, as an overflow of this love we receive, it's revealed that we don't really know God. I think a key for the, the, the gospel is understanding the gate. The rich man built a gate to keep the dangers of the world and the needs of the world away from him. And that was his sphere of concern. We can see it in post-mortem existence. Go tell my father and my brothers, because they were in the gate. They were inside. They were concerned for them. And, and notice also that the, that the rich man's change of heart is not repentance. It was repentance. He looked at Lazarus and he said, I'm so sorry. He still sees Lazarus as a servant. Send him to Make him do things for me. Bring him over here. Let him serve me like he's supposed to. But he had his family within the gate. And that was that, that neatly shut himself off from the larger needs and concerns of the world. Now, that's a tendency we all have to, to build gates. This does not mean that you can't fence your yard in to keep out the, whatever it is you might have. Uh, uh, the coyotes and getting your little dog or whatever it might be. But, but a metaphorical gate, we, we, we do. We, have this, we, we create, tend to create spheres of, 
of this is mine and ours, and that is theirs. It can be prejudice, whether it be sometimes it's racial, sometimes it's the system of belief that we define them as not being us, and therefore us not being concerned for them. And this has a sudden impact in making us self-centered. We're concerned for me and mine and not for them and theirs. Now, the application of this story and what it says to us is, is we think of twofold. First of all, our own individual lives and then ourselves as a church. Where have we erected gates? Where have we excluded people from our circle of concern who maybe God really wants us to open up and reach out to? We should note something about that because in, in the application of the parable, there are lots of challenges. It's not simple. If it were simple, then we could just do three things and solve the problem. There are so many needs in the world around us, and we can't meet them all. Remember, just a couple weeks ago, I, you know, I was on the phone with Bishop Wilson, who's in South Sudan, and there's a family, and, you're, and it's like, well, what can you do? I can't. So a lot of the needs that we're faced with, we're powerless to, to deal with. But notice that in this story, Lazarus is laid at the rich man's gate. He's right there within his circle of influence. So the needs we should be concerned about are those near to us, those we can actually respond to. And we should understand what's being said here. We, we can read this story wrongly as thinking that we should allow ourselves to be manipulated by every beggar on the street. Oh, because here's the least of these and a better... Oftentimes, our engagement with the beggar on the street where we give $5, whatever it might be, is actually the easy way out. It's easy to give a check. And that's why we do it. We give money there not really because we're fully engaged with that person, because we want him to go away. We, or we don't want to suffer the, the discomfort of saying, I'm not going to meet this need because I don't think it solves the problem. There are needs all around us, and, and one framework we've, we've looked, we've um, discussed in our church for understanding poverty uh, comes from a book where it talks about poverty being relational in all of its manifestations and fourfold. Poverty exists when people are poor in relationship to God, in relationship to others, in relation to themselves, and in relation to the creation. People are alienated from God. Therefore, they don't have a true sense of self and who they are. Therefore, they are disconnected from others, excluded, and they're not effective, and they don't know how to effectively use the creation to make a living. All genuine concern for those in need, therefore, begins relationally. The needs we want to meet, we must meet relationally. We must get to know people. Find out who they are. And if there is some homeless person that, that we ever feel compelled to do something for, the first thing to do is go find and buy them a cup of coffee and start asking, who are you? What's your name? Where are you from? Before we even give a dime. When we understand poverty is, is relational in this way, we'll also understand around us that a lot of times in our culture, Lazarus is very well clothed. 
but we live in an alienated culture where people are cut off from community, from meaningful relationships, and this is a, a product of individualism. We, we actually prize the situation of rich men. We get our stuff and we go to a nice place for ourselves, we're comfortable alone, and we find that in our comfort we're cut off from others in relationship. So people are cut off, alienated, isolated. We live in a very wealthy area, there's churches in a very wealthy area. There's a lot of lonely people there whose loneliness is covered by how much money they have. So when we go around our lives looking where is Lazarus, we have to discern needs are relational. Who can we reach out to? Who can we get to know? Who is over here that we might draw in? Where are opportunities? And as a church, we look at it that same way. That's the nature of our ministry. How do we reach out? How do we reach out beyond our, our, our doors, our gates? How do we draw new people in? That's the essence of our social ministry. When we have parties, it's not just to have a party, although it's to have that too. But, but an essence of, of having a celebration is to provide space to invite people into and get to know us. And here, I, I believe, is how Mission advantage works essentially in our time. People who are alienated get to know us as people, either individually in your life or communally as, as a group. As they get to know us, we are interested in them, finding out who they are, drawing them into relationship. Then they're interested in what we believe. Only when they see that we're different. Our culture has heard a lot of the gospel. They would have heard about Jesus. We haven't seen enough of it in, in day-to-day acts. When we do that, when people come in to see it, then they want to know, what do you believe? And we have inquiries about this. We have instruction. And they find out. And then they'll end up at the altar of God with us. But it begins with relationship. And it begins with we're attentive to who has God laid at our gate? Who are we called to reach out, out to individually as a church? There's no easy answer, but that's the challenge of living in Christ. It's not just a challenge. It's what we will feel if we really live a life of prayer. It's what we'll feel compelled to do. We will, we will be full of something that we will want to share. It's easy to see the story as a story of a poor man in need and a rich man who does not have needs. To see that the poor man needs the rich man. Lazarus needs the rich man. But the rich man needs Lazarus just as much. Lazarus was an invitation to the rich man to come out of his selfishness, his self-centeredness, and love. And if we begin to look at our lives that way, we see people laying at our gates, this is an opportunity to open the gate in love. We need that. In a, in a world where we tend to get bottled up in our own stuff, we need to uh, be drawn out beyond ourselves into others. And, and so the needs around us are not just things we have to meet in order to avoid the, the fear that God will send us to hell on the last day, but they're opportunities to draw out of our solitude and, and into the relationship we need to and truly into showing God's love and experiencing it, having others experience it, and we also, when we truly give, experience it in return. And in the Father and the Son.
And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren,